0: Welcome to the Sadler Lectures Podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an mp3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the terms that's most closely associated with Sigmund Freud and with psychoanalysis as a movement and a method is the unconscious and Freud in lecture 31 the dissection of the psychical personality wants to clarify for us what the unconscious or what unconscious really means and as it turns out he says it's an equivocal term it covers a range of different to some degree, interrelated meanings that we have to distinguish and clarify if we want to really understand what he's trying to say. He begins by talking about resistance, and he says that the whole theory of psychoanalysis is, as you know, built up on the perception of the resistance offered to us by the patient when we attempt to make his unconscious conscious to him. And that's really central to psychoanalysis, right? The idea is that you have some things going on that you you don't really know about, and they can be located in something that we could almost think like a bucket that, You know, is the unconscious, we're going to pull things out of the bucket. Not the best analogy, of course, but, you know, the patient resists and doesn't want to hear certain things or they misrecognize. And so this is a key insight on the part of Freud. He says that the objective sign of this resistance is that his associations fail or depart widely from the topic that's being dealt with. They start ranging into other things. He may also recognize the resistance subjectively by the fact that he has distressing feelings when he approaches the topic but this last sign may also be absent and he says we say to the patient we infer from his behavior he's now in a state of resistance and he replies I I don't know anything about that and is only aware that the associations have become more difficult and in this case Freud says we can talk about even the resistances being unconscious that the patient is not aware of them even though as an observer the psychic psychoanalyst might be aware of them. So he goes on and he says, the resistance was unconscious too, just as unconscious as the repressed, the lifting of which we were working. And so we should long ago have asked the question, from what part of his mind does an unconscious resistance like this arise? And here's where Freud is going to say, listen, you popularizers of psychoanalysis, you people who have like studied it a bit and now we are going to use it as the hermeneutic to understand everything— don't make this mistake. And what is the mistake? We ask, well, what part of the mind is this resistance coming from? The unconscious. And Freud says, that's not actually solving anything to just attribute it to this thing that we all now know about because of psychoanalysis. He says, the beginner will begin with saying that, the resistance of the unconscious. And Freud says, an ambiguous and unserviceable Answer. If it means the resistance arises from the repressed, we must rejoin. Certainly not. We have to attribute to the repressed an upward drive. So it's not the repressed thing that's resisting. It wants to get out and talk and be conscious, right? He says the resistance can only be a manifestation of the ego, which originally put the repression into force and now wishes to maintain it. Now, if that's the case, that means that part of the ego is now unconscious. So that's a bit of a problem for the people who want to say, oh, so the ego is what's conscious. It's your thinking aware self. And then there's this whole unconscious stuff underneath it. No, a good portion of the ego at any given time is itself unconscious. So he says, since we've come to assume a special agency in the ego, the superego, which represents demands of a restricting and rejecting character, we can say that repression is the work of the superego, and it's carried out either by itself or by the ego in obedience to its orders. If we're met by the case of resistance in analysis, not being conscious to the patient, this means... Either that in quite important situations, the superego and the ego can operate unconsciously or that portions of them, the ego and the superego themselves are unconscious. So this is a very different portrayal by Freud of these, you know, superego, ego, key ideas of psychoanalysis, very different than what his popularizers have sometimes portrayed them as. And he goes on and he says, in the face of the doubt, whether the, the ego and superego are themselves unconscious or merely produce unconscious effects, we have decided in favor of the former personality. This doesn't mean that the entirety of the ego is unconscious. If that was the case, we wouldn't be having any conversation at all about the ego because we obviously are using, in Freudian senses, our egos to have this, this very investigation going on. But as he says, large parts of the ego and the superego at any given time are unconscious. Now, the question then is, all right, unconscious in what way? What, What do we actually mean when we're talking about something being unconscious or the unconscious and here is where he starts clarifying terminology and he says there's no need to discuss what's to be called conscious it's removed from all doubt we know what it means right it's sort of a basic experience that we have so the oldest and best meaning of the word unconscious he says is the descriptive one what do we mean by that we're describing psychical processes we say that a psychical process is unconscious whose existence we are obliged to assume for some such reason as we infer it from its effects, but of which we know nothing. So, I mean, this is really a metaphysical conception, isn't it? Where we're saying it's sort of like there's a cause and we infer the cause from its effects. We don't actually know the cause directly, but we observe the effects and we say there must be something lying behind these. So he says, in that case, we have the same relation to it as we have to a psychical process in another person. This is a very interesting thing to say, right? Except that it is, in fact, one of our own. So, you know, we see another person getting angry about something and knocking things around. We must say, well, somebody must have ticked them off or they had some setback that they didn't like. Now we find ourselves doing the same thing and we're like, what the hell am I doing here? Well, I, I must be carrying on some reasoning processes and some processes of moving from assumptions and perceptions to these actions. And I can infer that in myself. And I can do this with other things as well. I find myself constantly getting upset in the presence of one person, but not in another. Well, there must be something to it, right? I just don't know what it is that's unconscious to me. So he goes on and he says that if we want to be more correct, We can modify our assertion by saying that we call a process unconscious if we're obliged to assume that it is being activated at the moment, although at the moment we know nothing about it. And he says this is a really important qualification. Why? Because it makes us reflect that the majority of conscious processes are conscious for only a short time. Most of the time, we're not actually paying attention that closely to what's going on, not just around us, but within us. Our own processes of thinking and association and feeling and responses. We're paying attention to some of it, but we're usually not paying attention to most of it. And we can direct our attention. We can say, "Well, I'm going to do some mindfulness now and, you know, pay attention to my breathing. And wow, my breath sounds kind of weird. Okay, I was unconscious of that before, but now I can be conscious of that. So he says that this makes us realize that things can become latent, but they can easily become conscious again. We might also say they had become unconscious if it were at all certain that in the condition of latency, they are still something psychical. And he says that so far, we'd have learned nothing new, nor should we have acquired the right to introduce into the concept of unconscious into psychology. But then come the parapraxes. In order to explain a slip of the tongue, we find ourselves obliged to assume the intention was to make a particular remark was present in the subject, right? So we look at this association stuff, and a lot of that has been carried on unconsciously. And so uh, he says, from this experience, we obtain the right to pronounce something as something unconscious, what had been described as latent. And so we can move from this descriptive idea to distinguishing two kinds of being unconscious. There's the thing that he's going to call the pre-conscious, in which we can fairly easily make it conscious. We just have to direct our attention to it. And now it comes into the light or prominence, whatever we want to call it, of consciousness. It's latent for a while, right? And then there's the things that are genuinely unconscious, oftentimes involving resistances, right, or repression, because they're transformed into consciousness only through difficulty or not at all. And this is where the, you know, the psychoanalyst can actually be quite helpful in pointing out to a person that what they're not conscious of is actually affecting their behaviors, leading to inferences, making them choose certain terms, even though they can't be aware of it, even though they can't understand in the experiential sense why it's happening. They could understand it in a cognitive sense, though. So he, he goes on and he says that in this case, we have a considerable expenditure of effort. And so he says, in order to escape the ambiguity as to whether we mean the one or the other unconscious, we're going to call the unconscious, which is only latent and easily becomes conscious, preconscious, and use the term conscious for the other. Now we have three terms, conscious, preconscious, unconscious. And he says, this, you know, would be very simple if it remained like that, but there's another wrinkle. Uh, As a matter of fact, we use unconscious in a third sense, he says, in which we're referring to something like a system. He uses the adjectives topographical and systematic to describe it. He also talks about it as being in the, the unconscious in the truly dynamic sense And so he talks about a conflict between the ego and the system unconscious, which he's going to now actually dispense with. And he says, I've used the word more and more to denote a mental province rather than a quality of what's mental. The discovery is actually an inconvenient one because portions of the ego and superego as well are unconscious in the dynamic sense. But... We can realize, he says, we perceive that we have no right to name the mental region that's foreign to the ego, the system unconscious, since the characteristic of being unconscious is not restricted to it. He says, fine, we're not gonna use this term unconscious in the systematic sense, and we will give what we have hitherto so described a better name, one no longer open to misunderstanding. And he takes this from a verbal usage of Nietzsche and talks about the id, the S in German, right? The the it that's within us, that drives us. And there's a lot more to be said about that here, the last thing that we need to bring up is that Freud tells us that we have to be very careful not to try to identify things too closely. The ego is not the same thing as the conscious. The superego is not the same thing as the preconscious. The id is not the same thing as unconscious. There are parts of the ego and the superego that are unconscious. The id is very often unconscious, although you could say parts of it are actually pretty pre-conscious the parts that are lustful or gluttonous or whatever you want the entirety of the id probably not right but you you can't easily identify these with each other and here he's got this you know really interesting metaphor or analogy of the hill country plains and chains of lakes with the mixed population to try to explain that And and the point that he's trying to make there is don't Don't identify these three things here with these other three things here. Conscious, preconscious, unconscious is not the same thing as ego, superego, and id. So a lot of different meanings of unconscious, and Freud is keen to have us understand the differences between them so that we can make sense out of these three agencies that play such an important role. That's the dissection he's trying to carry out in this lecture. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com slash sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.